We always tell people to raise prices, but we want you at least to have the right margins to be sustainable. So when you sell something, the right margin is there that you're profitable. The money can go back into the business. It can reinvest versus you needing to pull out of your own bank account. Then if you see that the market will bear, the customer can be charged more for the product and you can make a higher margin, by all means do it. I'm Jacqueline Snyder, and this is the Product Boss Podcast. I've helped launch and grow thousands of product-based businesses, even one of my own. And over the last 20 years, I've seen behind the scenes of businesses just like yours. Whether they are makers, manufacturers, artists, or food and beverage businesses, I have spent so many hours studying it all. I've discovered what makes them successful. What are mistakes they could avoid? How did they turn an idea into successful business? and what are strategies they have used to make more sales and be discovered by more customers. This is what this show is all about. Whether you're just starting out or you're looking to become a million dollar product boss, I'm here to give you the permission to chase your dreams, no matter how big or small. All you need is the right mindset, a little courage, strategy, and support, and you too can be the next million dollar product boss. Let's do this. There's a big reason why more than 300 of last year's unicorn startups use HubSpot. And it's because no software keeps you better connected with your teams or your customers so you can crush all your goals. The new HubSpot Sales Hub brings you that power in an easy-to-use platform designed for today's top sales teams. With 360-degree deal management and real-time reporting, you get accurate windows into each and every inch of your business. And with AI power tools like ChatSpot, you'll have a dedicated assistant that knows your business inside and out. ChatSpot enables your team with one-step access to a ton of time-saving functions like pulling data, tracking calls, managing leads, and scheduling emails. So trade cold calls for warm leads because when it comes to scaling sales, your software should be smart. And the solutions should be simple. Get on track for your best Q1 yet. Check out HubSpot Sales Hub at hubspot.com slash sales. You are in for a treat, Product Boss. In this coaching call, I'm speaking with Elaine of Unziker Designs, and she has an incredibly unique product, which I'll let her explain after the intro. But let's just say it's something unexpected and very, very cool. This eye-catching product doesn't have any problems grabbing attention when people see it in person, but it is so niche that targeted discovery can be an issue. She's been in business for an impressive 30 years, and while she's been successful for much of that run, her sales are often inconsistent and unpredictable. We're going to work on finding her a path to a steady, predictable income that doesn't depend on all of her selling being in person. All right, my friend, let's get into it. So I'd first love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about Unzucker Designs now. And you've been in business for 30 years, you said. This is my 30th year. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So tell us about what you make and sell. So I started out with jewelry and that's where I began and it's where I learned my craft, so to speak. And then I started doing bigger items. I think because it just felt more creative for me 
So I ended up doing purses and I still do purses and wearable art. And then (laughs) one day I'm making a, a top and this top kind of, I listen to my pieces while I'm creating. This top just became a dress. It just started, mm. said, don't stop, keep going. This is your thing. And I'm like, How, who's going to buy this? I don't know. <laughs> but I have sold a number of my dresses throughout the years. And they're just really kind of special items. They're, it's my artwork okay, going so full blown. The one thing that you missed is telling us what these dresses and jewelry are made out of. Oh, sorry. They're made out of stainless chainmail. Chainmail. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, so for those of you who don't know what chainmail is, you know, you can imagine like chainmail for knights, like when they wore those vests underneath their, you know, shields, but chainmail, you'll see it and it's metal mesh, not mesh because it's all rings hooked on each other. So do you call it metal lace? I, I started calling it metal lace because it's fairly lightweight. For what it is. And if you say, you say chain mail, you think masculine and you think really mm-hmm. heavy metal lace that go, women go, Oh yeah. Okay. I get it. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and then it's more accessible, but all the rings interlock. And so they're soft and flowing and not stiff at all. Yeah. It's malleable. And when I met you, we got to meet in person. We did a photo shoot together and you came in with a metal lace glove you had this cute little, it looked like a crop top, like kind of the shape of a bra sort of, but a crop top over your outfit. We had the jewelry on. So it's very cool. The things that you're making, like you said, it's your art, you're a designer for sure, but it's very cool to see your version of taking this material that isn't as expected for wearable. I'll say it's wearable art, but it's also apparel and jewelry and accessories. Because you also had this one that was like a scarf that was made out of it, right? So they're very cool pieces. And I think you even told me that people will follow you out of like grocery stores and ask you oh, yeah. what you're wearing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people will stop me and they'll stop what they're doing. Like they're supposed to bag groceries or whatever and ask me questions. I've actually <laughs> sold earrings off my ears because the person wanted them. <laughs> Amazing. So good. So, I mean, it's really great because you're such, you're, you wear your product, you wear it well. And you look very cool doing it. And then people are like, what is this? Like, what's happening? And it looks, it's very awesome. So good job with that. So I just wanted to share that because as we talk about your product, I want people, and you can all, you know, check out the website. It's unzickerdesign.com. We'll drop a, there'll be a link in the show notes. You can kind of see what we're talking about as we're getting into this. So let's talk about your price points, because I think that's another big thing that we need to talk about from your earrings and jewelry all the way to your gowns. Cause you brought this one gown that was floor length that had a train. I mean, it was amazing. So what is your jewelry price point around? $40 for the least expensive pair of earrings all the way up to 400, 500 at times for one of a kind pieces of bracelets that are like in the hundred dollar range. And then there's scarves, which are also like from 150 to 400. Okay. The apparel. So a shawl is a thousand and the vest, which is like one of the bigger sellers is 1800. And you've sold dresses. I have sold dresses, you know, this different prices because I wasn't, you know, I was just making them. I didn't know 
when they would sell or who would buy them. But I have sold them up to $6,000. I haven't gone beyond that, but I have sold them up to $6,000. Amazing. Are you, you're a student in multi-stream machine? Yes. I just signed up in this last time. That's right. So when you were looking at the pricing and what we were teaching about pricing, did you feel like you were accurately priced? Well, I I actually just did some pricing with your figures. <laughs> just okay. like I'm going to double check my stuff. And so I I did a newer scarf, which I was like just checking to see if that price was accurate. It did come out pretty good. I mean, it it was pretty good. I didn't feel it was underpriced, but I did feel like maybe it could go up a little more. Perfect. Um, so I love that you're to, saying that. Which means then that you are pricing appropriately because if you're using our formula and you're it's less than what you're charging and that you're selling for, what I want everyone to know is like we always tell people to raise prices, but we want you at least to have the right margins to be sustainable. So when you sell something, the right margin is there that you're profitable, the money can go back into the business, it can reinvest versus you needing to pull out of your own bank account. Then if you see that the market will bear the customer can be charged more for the product and you can make a higher margin by all means do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and this is not, there's, I, I always bring up designer bags. Like I'll just say Chanel bags and Chanel bags are made out of leather with the same innards and zippers. And the only difference is, I mean, yes, there's quality of sewing and stuff, but it's the logo on it and who's selling it and the brand's value. So if we're going to talk about materials versus materials and labor versus labor, they could probably come up pretty similar to someone who's just selling a generic leather bag and someone who's, and or like the production cost of selling a generic leather bag and the same with a Chanel bag. But what's bonkers to me even, and especially in the designer realm, since 2020, prices have skyrocketed like 40% more like Chanel bags that used to be five, $6,000 are now like $10,000 for an entry level product. (laughs) And it's not because the materials changed. It was because of the demand and scarcity and the value placed on the product and what people are doing. So I was like, this, you know, I'm lucky I bought my first and only Chanel bag before the pandemic because I got a deal. <laughs> but I say it because you, I'm glad that you've priced and you're like, oh yeah, I can scooch it up. So if it can be higher, it's okay to keep it higher. Don't think you have to price it down. One of the things product bosses struggle with most is getting their pricing right. They're afraid that raising their prices will push customers away. We always recommend hitting a minimum margin based on the cost of your business. And in most of our coaching calls, the problem is that they're priced too low. But once you've hit that minimum threshold, the only limit to your pricing is what the market will bear. So right now you're feeling like your biggest struggle is having steady, predictable income and a definite direction for the business. So you've been in business for 30 years. And how have you been selling mainly? Like what's your main sales channel for your product? Mainly it's been in person. In-person sales at art festivals, some of the top, I would say the top 20 in the country, which means, you know, I would be in California, but I would also be in Pennsylvania. They're juried shows. So I have to send in an application, which costs a fee. And then I may get in or I may not get in. And then you have, once you're in, 
shortly, you'll have to pay a booth fee way ahead before the show. It could be six months before the show happens, which means they're holding on to your money and you're not making any money. That's actually pretty difficult in a sustainable way if you're looking at it from a sustainable way. Yeah. And you live in Southern California. And so you would travel. So you'd apply, you would travel to shows and you would sell. And then there's the cost of travel. So mm-hmm. there, And your husband would go with you as well? Yes. yes. Yeah. So there's two people. There's shipping all the stuff. There's the display and all the things. And then there's the time that you're spending there. So it looks to me from you, at some point, you were pretty close to 200000 a year business. Mm-hmm. What was happening during that year when you were making multiple six figures versus where you are now, which is under six figures? There were a lot more shows available to me. Okay. And like within, I mean, it just kind of happened like a little at a time, but let's say one year, a show producer stopped doing their show. I mean, it just disappeared, gone. And And I think that happened with another show I was doing as well. So when those shows started disappearing, then there wasn't anything to fill in Mm. for that. So a loss of revenue because it like something closed. So whatever that percentage was to your revenue, all of a sudden you didn't have access to that anymore. Right. And it's pretty hard to scramble at the last minute to figure out what to do to accommodate that. And then I think that the other piece of this is that the art festivals really had a big heyday in one at one point where lots of that's where people bought stuff person in person and now that might be an older clientele might be some young people but maybe not I'm not I'm not sure I have I've done a few in fact I'm going to do a few that are more local just to see what the difference is right now but I do know that younger people are buying my work. So I just need to reach younger people in a new way. Yeah, because 30 years in business, things have changed. Yeah. When you started, there was no internet, e-commerce, Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it was in person and people went to things and they bought in person. And so in the transition, especially in the last several years, and then with the pandemic hitting, which also closed down more in-person shows and people couldn't get Mm -hmm. back on their feet, and it moved a lot of people to buying online, it really just changed the culture in general of shopping. Now, I'm seeing people return to in-person and they want to do it. And I'm even feeling a pull now that I'm like, I want to buy something and I want to actually physically drive to the store and I can't, those stores are gone now. Mm -hmm. And so I actually have to turn to online to kind of search something. So, you know, I think we're going to waver. I do think people want this return to in-person. They like to be out of their houses. They like to be doing stuff. But, you know, the world keeps shifting. So we just have to be, we have to pivot and meet customers where they're at, which is kind of what you're asking about. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple of co-op stores that I'm working in right now which has been great because I'm meeting people from all over the place. And that's where I realized that younger people are buying my work. I'm meeting younger people and older people. And there's still that I'm really good in person and selling my work. I know how to Mm -hmm. talk to people and it's super fun, but standing on your feet for like 10 hours or 12 hours every day is a little rough. (laughs) So I don't have to do it quite that. I don't want to do it quite like that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And you also mentioned getting older that it was just, it's something that maybe you feel like you want to 
transition out of doing all the time for all the things? Yeah, uh, I've, you know, it's creativity that really got me here. And I've been finding, for whatever reason, that writing is becoming very interesting and creative for me, which is great because 60% of the people open my emails and read. That's big. Mm -hmm. That's big. So how to get them to buy is the next question. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. Are your emails... Are your emails created like like blog or newsletter emails or the e-commerce emails? They're like a newsletter. Okay. So sometimes I might talk about a new product. Sometimes I might talk about my creative process or just what's on my mind. Yeah. Um, I have another student I worked with. She We did a VIP day together. So I ended up going to her studio and she's an artist. And she also does newsletters. And I think that is definitely a realm or a trend for artists to kind of share Mm -hmm. their feelings or to share their inspiration. And while that's a piece of content that you are creating, which I love because it's really engaging, I think it'd be interesting to switch you into also mixing into e-commerce emails. Okay. Okay. So an e-commerce email is, is less, very few words and very image driven and click call to action. Mm. Okay. You're probably signed up for people's email. Like you're probably on different companies' emails, right? So you Mm -hmm. know the difference between when you get a newsletter that we're going to read through and then we're going to get an email that's e-commerce based, which just means that there's a visual with a call to action. So it might be like gifts. You could send a gift e-commerce email. I'm going to call it e-commerce email, but a gift email. And it's like gifts for her. And then it could be you can show earrings, the scarf, like maybe not the dresses, right? Because that's a $1,200, $1,800, $6,000 purchase. That's for people who start to covet. And that might be things that you talk about in the blog or the newsletter, for example. And they're aspirational pieces. But the things they can buy in the meantime are the $40 earrings, the $100 earrings, the Mm -hmm. couple hundred dollar scarves. They can get a version of that look. So we've got aspirational and then we have the stuff that people are able to buy more of and often. So your business is a little bit split between being an wearable art, like an art business. And then there's mm-hmm. also your business that can be an accessory driven business, the gloves, the earrings, the next ties or scarves, like the jewelry bits. And so I think it's the positioning that you do that's important to start to drive it forward in a certain way. So we want to sell product ultimately. We can tell stories and I love that you love writing and I think blogs and things like that are great. But I think some follow-up e-com emails will be really essential in a call to action of like shop now, right? There's just a simple button shop now and it drives them over to the website and they land on the product page or the category page and they can shop now. Yeah, I mean, we have done that with the newsletter, but you're it's just, you're talking about being just that Separate. simple. Yeah. Okay. I think a mix. You can do the newsletter once a week and you can do an e-commerce email once a week. And if so that's you too many emails, do, I'm you smiling, can do one I'm the smiling. next week. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm smiling because I'm like, do you do a newsletter? Or, I mean, you do something every week for your new <laughs> list. That's my question. If you're on our email list, we do something almost every day. <laughs> I know. I get a you lot You have unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> but I do, I, you know, like I, 
I hesitate in sending something out every week because I feel like oh, I'm bugging people. But maybe that's how we all feel at times. I don't know. We need to keep our own personal feelings about emails out of our business. Okay? Because while you feel like you're bugging people, I'm sure that there are emails you get in your inbox that you open and you read that are promotional. Some may think it's spam because they don't like that company enough, and some might welcome them. So I used to be on Anthropology's email list, and they sent an email once a day. So if you wanted to look what my inbox looked like, if I had 2,000 unread emails, it was Anthropology. I did not unsubscribe. Did I open all of them? No. But I also didn't unsubscribe because what if they were going to offer me something? What if a sale happened or there's something that caught my eye? And I was like, I don't want to miss out. So I'll stay on the list, but I don't open all of them. So it's the same idea here, right? Like you don't have to open every single email, but you're a billboard in their inbox right? You're popping up and you're, and they're remembering you. When you ask me is once a week too much, it's not because I get emails once a day from companies and even they'll do a resend to unopens. Meaning if I didn't open them in the morning, yeah, I'll get a different subject line later with the same email, <laughs> but I don't unsubscribe. And if I do, it's because I'm going through like a purge of my inbox. Some people might be super offended. How dare you email me this many times? Cool. You can leave, right? Okay. That's okay. Other people might be like, this is fine. This is fine until the day that they've subscribed to too many newsletters. And then they're going to self-select to opt out because they're going to, I still get emails from certain companies that I'm still very into that I'll get every single day and they will fill up my inbox, but I've unsubscribed to others because I'm just not into it anymore. But it doesn't mean I'll never shop with them again. It's just, I don't mm-hmm. need to be reminded every day about their emails. And then there's the super fans or there's people who are waiting and they're okay with it. And they want you to tell them what you have to sell them. So there's okay. a variation. And so let's keep our thoughts about emails out of our customers' inboxes because they've got control and they will do what they want to do. So once a week is not too much if you need to ease out of this. Because your current newsletters, are you getting a return on those? Like are people buying from them? Occasionally. I don't, I'm not getting, you know, like a lot yeah. of sales off online, I should say, or from my newsletter. So I love that you're creating content around your products and you're writing about stuff. And that's for the fans. That's for the people that are like, I want to follow this artist and I want to know the journey. But we also need the shoppers, the buyers, the people who are going to buy from you. And we need to make them an offer to buy from you. Mm -hmm. So you could also do a every other week situation if you want, like one week newsletter, next week e-com, next week newsletter, next week e-com. And you can see how they start to perform. And if the e-com emails start to make you sales, you may feel more confident sending more of them and maybe your newsletter is once a month instead. It's okay to have multiple aspects of your business like Elaine does here. The key is to make sure you're supporting each part of your business with a strategy that works for them. You don't market casual, lower-priced accessories the same way you'd market luxury ones, for instance. If you're going to offer both ends of the spectrum, you want to use tactics that will work for each. And I promise you, Product Boss, you should all worry less about bothering people with your emails. 
I don't think I've coached a single business owner yet who's sending too many emails. People signed up for your list because they want to hear from you. So relax, send those emails and make those sales. And also don't worry when somebody unsubscribes. It's okay. You want to pay for the people on your list that want to be on your list because the bigger and bigger you grow your email list, the more it'll actually cost you. So let the people that aren't concerned with your business leave. I think I'm more of an introvert too. So it's like, oh, it seems like so much work, man. But if mm. it's just an e-commerce email, that's right. not as much effort. And I just have to get, you know, Keith is my husband is my tech person and he does yeah. the emails and I figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to get him on board too. <laughs> okay. And you know, there's sites like Canva has e-commerce layouts. So... Mm-hmm. I have a client that we build her stuff in there and just make sure that every image is clickable and it clicks over to where you want them to buy from it. So don't, they're going to let them click anywhere on there. And like, let's say you were selling the earrings. Every image should have a link attached to it so that if they click, it just takes them straight to the website to shop that earring or to shop earrings, right? Depending on what the call to action. So while I'm going to challenge you on the introvert versus extrovert labeling, because A lot of times I hear people say, I'm not going to show up online. I'm not going to show my face because I'm an introvert. I think what we're really saying is that we're shy, right? Or we're not (laughs) confident enough to show up because introvert versus extrovert just means that you and I go to a party and we have talked to a whole bunch of people. I leave feeling like my cup is full and I'm jazzed and then I can go record three or four podcasts after and like do a bunch of lives on Instagram. Okay. You're like, I need to lay down and nobody talk to me for the next 75 hours. Yes. Okay? Yes, this is true. <laughs> it's an energy thing. It's either it's giving you energy or it's depleting your energy. So the Mm -hmm. good thing about you and emails is that your energy is in the creative side of it, but you're not being depleted by others. You're being depleted by the creative work of it all. If you feel drained, but putting yourself out there is more of a confidence situation. And when we separate you, which the newsletter is you maybe, from the e-commerce side of it all, the e-com side is the business selling product to the customer that opted into your email list for a reason. Okay. 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 I'm not telling you to go to a party with them. I'm just telling you to send them an email. (laughs) (laughs) So, So what we're talking about now is this idea of where to focus your business, like what to focus on because you're kind of rebuilding the business. Like you said, things are changing. You don't want to do all the shows in all the places and they're not even all available anymore. Mm -mm. So the idea here is like, how do we start to generate six figures, multi six figures with your brand and how are we going to sell it? Which you join multi-stream machine, I think for a purpose, right? It it talks about multi-channel, omni-channel selling in more places. So what percentage of your business do people buy online? Is anyone buying anything online? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I've, I had an online sale, but it was the guy called me, <laughs> asked a question <laughs> okay. and then we, then I did the sale, <laughs> Okay. but he met me first, you know, like they, they came here in person, but it was a gift. So it was just easy to do it that way. Yeah. So uh, I don't get very much online action. Okay. Okay. 
So how do you feel about social media? Do you feel comfortable going and talking about your products, going live? Like, because you're so good in person, could you translate what you're good at in person to another version of that online, like digitally through a social media platform, perhaps? I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> I just knew you it. Don't know. I knew that this was kind of like the where this direction was going. I don't have a problem talking about my product. I like if I put on the phone and I see myself talking, it's really hard. Okay. I have a friend who's a photographer and she was getting me to talk about my product and she was like, okay, I want you to talk now about this. I was like, okay, no problem. So she did a a video of me talking about different products so I can clip it in different sections, but I don't know about, I've never tried to do a live. I think it freaks me out. Uh (laughs) That doesn't mean I can't do it, but I think it freaks me out. Okay. So there's this brand that I followed for a long time that was word of mouth. So they are some, like there's, they're stones, like rose quartz, amethyst. Mm -hmm. Like if you think about from a spiritual perspective, they're spiritual stones, but she makes them into jewelry bracelets. She's all bracelets and she calls it handmade crystal jewelry, blessed to attract abundant miracles in your life. Now she's very fabulous looking. She's the face of her brand. You know, she's the kind of person that looks like she's flying private, like on a private jet, but she wears these bracelets all the time. And the way I found it was, I was like, oh, this is very different. I saw someone else who's like spiritual wearing them, but spiritual glam, let's call it. And I saw, I was like, what is that brand? And she's like, oh, it's this company. And I followed them ever since. And I love it because she actually has like 40,000 ish people that follow her on social media. But when I look at her views, like there's not that many. So who knows if they're real or not people, but she's constantly showing up and talking about the pieces. And when I met you in person, you had so much to say about every piece, how it's made, the way you touch it, the way you hold it, the way you explain it, which is probably why doing in-person shows, you're so successful. And I think there's an element that we can translate because you're traveling all over, you're lugging the stuff around, your husband goes with you, you're like, you know, how many in-person events can I do? And I think for you in particular, there's a part of you that you can translate online by just being able to show up and speak. Does it have to be live? No, you can create shorter video where you're just talking about it. You can even just do things with your hands and show it, but people like faces, they're more likely going to watch video with faces. Mm -hmm. But I just want you to start to think about your superpower specifically. Elaine, is that you're very good in person and you're very personable. I mean, Mm. to the point that you were inviting my photographer to come stay with you at your house. (laughs) (laughs) She was so personable herself. (laughs) She was great. I'm like, yeah, I did. You're all going to go hang out in Ohio together? Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, So there's this part of you in person that I think if we can build confidence and know hey, what if you could build this business by speaking more to customers as if you were in person with someone, you could really Mm. translate a lot of it online. Now it could be in a Facebook group that you can create your own Facebook group. It can be on Instagram and TikTok, for example. All you need is, I think it's a thousand followers on TikTok to be able to do lives. Because what I think eventually is if you're going live and you're just like, you know, once a day you... I say once a day, it's going to freak you out. You can't even send, you don't want to send an email once a week, but let's just pretend you were really comfortable. 
and you were going live and you were talking about these new earrings. I created them. They're so amazing. Look at them. You're putting them on. You're talking about it. People are going to watch and they're going to almost watch and covet your items because it's not really mass produced there. You might make similar ones, but it's almost like if I can get that, I need to watch and pay attention because these bracelets I was telling you about, they're like $800. Like they're not cheap. I had to wait for a Black Friday sale (laughs) when I bought my (laughs) stack (laughs) because when I I really wanted them, they're like $550, So it's very expensive, but they're highly coveted and people watch and they collect. And I think your brand Mm -hmm. needs to shift more to a collection, like I'm collecting from you and I feel attached to watching this art be created and the specialness to it. And there's enough people that, like you said, they, I think you said you do have collectors, you know? Uh, Oh yeah, I do. I'm actually, I like big collectors, actually. (laughs) Mm -hmm. People who've collected my work over and over again for years. We just need more people to know you exist that aren't walking by a booth or walking by your table at an in-person, you know? Hey, hey, product boss. Okay, so it is podcast recommendation time. And this month, I am so excited to share Latinx in Power, hosted by Teisa Fernandez and brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Latinx in Power is a podcast that features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America and the Caribbean. Having the perspective of Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields is so invaluable. And they're aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives. And I don't know about you, but I love to listen to podcasts that interview leaders in different industries because you never know what nugget of advice you can pick up and apply to your own business. So I really love this recent episode titled From Legos to Microsoft with Pablo Veramendi. Pablo is the director of audience evangelism at Microsoft. Yes, the Microsoft. And in this episode, Pablo discusses his Hispanic identity, passion for building communities through technology, and insights on the future of technology. And he even teased some upcoming projects at Microsoft. Listen to Latinx in Power wherever you get your podcasts. Hey friends, are you unsure of what to say on social media or what to even send in your weekly emails? Well, what if creating content could be easy? Would you be looking for a shortcut to creating consistent content? Yes, consistent content, because you know consistency is key. Well, let me tell you, you are not alone when you feel like you're struggling on what to post or what to write in emails. And we know that you have that product part of your business down. But as you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know that to get more people to your products, to buy your products, you need to create great content. Oh, I know, I see. I keep saying content, and that's the dreaded C word. And we can't tell you how many product bosses tell us that they want to create great content for their audience and their customers, but they don't know what to say, or they are so busy, they can't find the time, or they really, really, really don't want to be the face of their brand. 
Well, no worries, because that's exactly why we created a year of content. It is your shortcut to creating consistent content that resonates with your audience and brings more loyal customers who can't wait to buy your products. If you want to see how easy this is and how easy it is to create content for your audience and your customers, head to www.ayearofcontent.com. I get that social media can stress some people out. We recently did an episode about whether or not you actually need to use social media to market your business. So go listen to episode 547 to hear more about that. While the truth is is that you don't need social media for your business, for what Elaine's hoping to achieve more consistent sales while doing less in-person shows, cultivating an online presence is what's going to get her to where she wants to be. There's no one right way to build a social media following. So if the idea is freaking you out, start with this. Think about what strategies are working for you in person, the parts of your business that feel easy to you, and think of ways you can incorporate that into your social media. So when you're in person, are you getting their information? Are you growing your email list? I am. I don't quite have a thousand on my email list, which is hard to believe, but it's because of the the change from (laughs) mail to email. I didn't Mm -hmm. grab that fast enough, but I do have just over a thousand followers on Instagram. Okay. So that's somewhere. I mean, you don't need, you do not need that many people. You just have to create emails and content that gets them to buy it. And we need to just do some brand positioning that we shift you into like these collectors pieces and you talk about stuff and then you say this sold out you know, congratulations, Jacqueline, you just bought the one of the two pieces that I have of this, you know, and it feels coveted. I think the other Mm. element of where you could shift that I kind of see your, the placement of your stuff is festival goers, like young women who go to, because this chain mail, these dresses, it's like how everyone's basically wearing naked dresses now, or like you could see their underwear through everything. So I could see your stuff at Coachella or Burning Man if it's not, you know, turning into the disaster it was. But like they could go to festivals and concerts and your stuff because it really stands out. So Mm -hmm. you and I talked about this in person a little bit. But for you, now it's about reach to influencers or creators or celebrities to start to position your brand as a coveted high-level brand that they can access like Tiffany's jewelry has keychains available. Like their cheapest products are like, I don't know if they're like $150, right? So there's these like Mm -hmm. entry level products and then you could buy a hundred thousand dollar bracelet from them if you really want. So we have the entry level products because they're aspirational. And then we have like the real meat and potatoes, the coveted pieces that people want. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the next side of this is really figuring out who your ideal customer is now in this day in 2023 for you moving into 2024. And then thinking, who can I approach to wear my pieces? They don't get to keep them unless they want to buy them from you. That you can use those and that's an influence to other people that you want to attract to be your customers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have questions about that part? Well, I know it's it would be through stylists mostly, I think. We talked about like being, you you can work with stylists, which is an investment if we're working with style houses to house your stuff because they're almost like publicist in a way, but from that perspective. Or 
you can follow stylists on social media and you can reach out and do your own sort of connections mm-hmm. with them, right? You can follow them. You can comment on stuff. If they're looking like, who is this person? And they see your site. So it's kind of showing up where your ideal customers are or the decision makers for them and being more part of it. So that's another reason you and I talked about in LA, there's a couple trendy things you can do like the Rose Bowl flea market where stylists go and pull and buy stuff. And also I said the Melrose market, the Melrose, they call it trading post trading post. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've seen so many celebrities (laughs) and there's tastemakers there. So that's like a sideways type of way of getting in that. Like if you go to where the trendsetters are and then you have them take photos while they're trying them on. If you know, you just kind of, you capture content with people who look like the ideal customer Mm. and then you reuse that content so that when people see on your social channels or they see your emails and they're like, Oh, I see myself on that person that I might, I must be in the right place. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I actually was, we've looked up the Rose Bowl I think we need to call them now. We just have a couple of questions for them to see if it's possible for December. Okay. <laughs> I was saying the cool thing about us living here in Southern California is that our in-person markets don't stop necessarily. Mm-hmm. They'll stop like other people on the coast and stuff like that, or East coast, things like that. Like in-persons will end because of the weather. So we're really lucky that we have some things that just keep going. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I also wanted to say that like, I do have a really good wholesale account right now and it's a museum. The Mingay Museum Mm. carries my work. And this is kind of like the best wholesale account because I can contact them, just stay in touch with them by email and do like what I call a reminder. And then they order. Um, What museum did you say? It's called the Mingay, M-I-N-G-E-I, in San Diego. And what type of art is in this museum? Craft, folk art, and design. That's their focus. So here's a little thing you can do with ChatGPT if you want to use some AI. (laughs) I do this for my husband because he's a Broadway actor, singer, like amazing voice, and he wants to do more concerts. So we use ChatGPT and we search the top concert halls in the Ah. States. So you can kind of do the same thing that you can search. You can say, hey, I want to find other museums like the Mingay Museum in the States. Give me a list of them. You can even say like with contact info or website address, they might be able to give you that too. And so that will actually create a whole list for you of other similarly aligned retailers ultimately that you can approach and you can say, hey, we sell over here. They're doing really well. Would you like to become a customer of ours? Okay. That seems like an easy way to do it. Super easy. Otherwise, yeah. I need the yellow pages now. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like a real easy way. I just find that like the wholesale is really an easy way to, to have a stream of income. Yes. Welcome to multi-stream machine. Yes. So exactly. <laughs> so I don't think we talked about, so I didn't know you had gone wholesale yet. So I don't think we fully, I think I knew that you were setting, you had a couple smaller stores that you would have things in and I wasn't sure that they were wholesale or not. 
But when you're really leaning into these accounts and you're looking at, when I call them accounts, these stores are accounts for you. And you're like, who are they? Who are, who's their ideal customer? What is their sell through? You can find other businesses that are similar in other places in the world and in the, in the States that you could say, okay, we sell really well at this particular place. Where else can we sell like that? And you may also need to make decisions based on the, like the, the household incomes of the neighborhoods, right? Because if you're in San Diego and Ojai, which is close to between Santa Barbara and Los Angeles, for example, there's a lot of money there and your products, right? Versus if you went to another place, but the products weren't the right price point. So you might need to be in places like Carmel or places in Connecticut, for example, or the Hamptons. There might be stores like that in the Hamptons. So you might want to find places or West Palm Beach in Florida, places where people have money, they buy art, and they also would like to have very individualized art. Also Palm Springs for you, Palm Springs and Palm Desert. There was a museum that I was in touch with in Palm Springs. And it was just so hard to get an appointment with her. She wanted to see the work in person. And I never felt like she was communicating with me. And it really just got frustrating. And I was like, this isn't working. The other museum is really engaged. What's so interesting is the Palm Springs place wanted to work with me, but it just, it's so like not really making it happen. Like, yeah, she keeps putting it off. That's my my point. The buyer, the connection point for you, the buyer is not ideal because either you're not a priority right now, that person might be overwhelmed. We don't know what, we don't know what's happening in that business on okay. that back end. So it's not a you thing. So you could send an email that's like, hey, I just want to do a quick follow-up on this. Otherwise, I'm going to put it to bed. And then it might, I don't know that it's worth you driving out to San Diego to Palm Springs unless you're out there. You can always send samples with a okay. return mailing label. So you could send it and say, hey, I'm not able to get out there, but why don't I send you some samples? with a return mailing label, you send them an invoice, like where with the retail price, you're like, this is, I'm sending this to you. I need them return. You know, they need to be returned. Here's the invoice in case like something gets lost. Do you approve it kind of thing? Um, we're going to send it. We're going to send you a return shipping label. Take a look. Let's jump on a virtual call and we can talk through it. And maybe you have pieces that you can show her on zoom, but she can physically feel and see the product and you can have them send it back. Okay. Don't sell the don't send the twelve thousand twelve hundred dollar gown, right? Like, uh, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I only said that because like sometimes people could lose stuff or it sits on their desk forever. So you want them to just be accountable. Like, hey, I'm going to send this to you. It's going to get to you on Wednesday. Why don't we meet on Friday? I can show you some other things on Zoom. You can just kind of when you get to the conversation part of that, and then I'll send you the return label and you can ship it out to us by Monday. You know, you just kind of lay the ground rules for yourself. Okay. And for them. Okay. That seems good. Yeah. Don't drive there if this person seems flaky. You just don't know. Maybe she has to run everything. And the last thing she can do is wrap her head around like getting back to you just because. I actually think that's the case. I yeah. really do. Like she, she wanted to see jewelry and purses. She knew exactly what was going to work for her. Yeah. And your purses are very cool. Yeah. I think for you, like touristy destinations, places with money, gift stores, art stores, museums. But you could grow a beautiful wholesale arm to this business. And 
if you can duplicate what's working, this one account in San Diego, what's it generating for you right now in terms of revenue? I did not like do the full figures for the year, but this year is probably the third year they've had my work and they've ordered the most. Like I was, I was shocked that they ordered, I don't know, like three, four times before the summer. Okay. So take, that's pretty good. It's very good because they're doing reorders. That means they're selling. So take that amount when you look at the numbers and say, all right, if I can duplicate this store, let's just say they've bought $10,000 of product from you over Mm -hmm. this year. And you're like, I'm going to try and go get four, five more stores that are similar that I'm going to create a similar like repetitive pattern. And they start to generate $10,000 a year. Now we've added 50 grand to your income without you having to go to a single show or do a single live on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds better. (laughs) Well, I actually, I do think this is a, is a way to do it. I just wasn't quite sure how to get these places and where exactly. Wholesale is one of the most underrated streams of income for product bosses to consider. And I think that's because of how daunting it can seem to get started. But once you create these relationships, it becomes almost a passive stream of income for you. Wholesale won't work for every type of business, but it's definitely one you should look at. It's what worked for me and my product-based business, Cuffs Couture, and the dress line that I created, Lily Mark. It's how I got started. It's the business that I'm in. And it's something that I've seen work for our students inside of our programs as well. Then I'm going to take back everything I said to you before about stylists and all that. You can still do the markets. Don't spend money on that part just yet because the other side to this is because wholesale is working for you and you've tested it and you're like museum gift stores do really well Mm -hmm. and some art places do really well and things like that. Lean into that module and multi-stream machine about wholesale, have line sheets together, figure out your list of the people you're going to contact. You go through what we teach in MSM, which is kind of like how to approach them, how to make the calls, have the conversation. And now what's cool is that you've got data that you're like, hey, this museum in San Diego, they keep selling out of these products. And I know that your museum is very similar in terms of like the, you know, it's folk art or it's design based and whatever. And I think that when they're shopping, I think they'll find a lot of value. And then you could say like, let's start with a test order. Like let's start with a small order. I'll send you our best sellers, the things that are selling really well in this other place. It's X amount of dollars. I'll, I could write the order up for you. Cause I know exactly what'd be great, but I can show you some other things, but I know exactly what you need. And they might, all we want them to do. And this is, you have a whole training inside of MSM is how to get them to say, yes, we want to make it so easy for them to just say yes. Okay. Okay. So that I think instead is probably the easier lift for you in your business and allows for reach because now you're reaching your ideal customers in other places. They're going to discover you and then they're going to start to want to acquire you. So either they're going to go back to the same place to see what other products have come out, which are reorders, or they're going to go and they're going to follow you online and they're going to say, what else do you have? Mm -hmm. So I like this for you. I like the wholesale arm. And then you can use a chat GPT or something to find you similar stores, similar museums, and even give you the contact info because otherwise you're going to have to go through Google, which you can also do if you need to. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. How does that feel? It feels really good because that's like really manageable. Do you have any follow-up questions? The dresses have this high markup. 
sort of. And it's because they just take forever to make. Maybe they're just the thing that sometimes sells once in a while and they attract attention. Yes. They are your um, showpiece. Yes. Like if you go, like you think about like a car dealership or something like that, they're going to put like, they're going to, they're not going to, all their cars aren't going to be the most expensive car, but they're going to have one or two that are kind of like the, Ooh, like that's amazing. But most people are going to buy the cheaper cars. Probably I'm trying to think if there's a better analogy to that. So your dresses are probably show stoppers and the show piece and the thing that people are like, that's amazing. And it brings them over, but then they're going to buy from you. The hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollar products, and I want you to just think about the forty dollar earrings. If that's too low of a price point, based on where the majority of your other products sit, I just want you to think about it because a forty dollar pair of earrings I can get from a lot of people at a craft show, uh-huh. all different types of earrings. So then right. it turns into perceived value versus if your stuff is like these are $90 earrings or $120 earrings, right? Like, again, I don't know the product well enough to give you the exact number, but when you start to attract a certain customer, they have an expectation for what they're going to pay because in their head, it's quality, it's the uniqueness, it's whatever the brand value is. And so sometimes your cheaper price point might be deterring people because I might think 40 bucks, are they going to turn brass? Are they going to make my ears green? (laughs) Okay, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's true. Mm-hmm. Other people are going to say, that's really expensive. How dare you sell me metal earrings for that? And you'll be like, that's nice for you. You're not my ideal customer. <laughs> you know, that's okay. <laughs> well, it is fascinating. Um, I've noticed during this time that the $40 earrings do not sell as quickly as the $60 earrings. Because that's the next point up. Mm-hmm. It's perceived value. Okay. So you can test it. It could be, they could be $60 and then the $60 ones could be $85, right? Mm -hmm. So you can test this. And what I love is because you're in person, you have such immediate feedback. You can see things faster versus if you just had a website and you're like, I don't know why things aren't selling. You're not sitting in their home asking them, why are you not clicking and buying? But when you're in person, you actually have an immediate direct feedback. And so you can kind of see and gauge it and you can even test it. You could be like, okay, they're $65. Oh, they're not selling them or lower them to $55, right? Like you can mm, play with okay. things in real time. Okay, cool. That's that's great. Yeah. I'm actually going to look up Tiffany's jewelry and see what the cheapest thing I can get is. Their keychains are $250, $350, They've definitely raised their prices. But I'm just saying this because... What happens is you start to position yourself in a certain way and they just know that there's entry products and it's still going to cost them something. And then there's like perfumes are a really good example of an entry product for designer brands because maybe somebody can't afford to buy Versace or Tiffany's, but Tiffany's has perfume because it's like an entry product. It's something like I have something from Tiffany is it's just not the thing I maybe like eventually want to get. So yeah, I mean, so far I can't find anything. The cheapest thing I found so far is their perfume. 
So we just need to have a threshold of like, this is where we start and this is where we go up from. But we don't want to try and price to everybody because your brand is not for everybody. No, not not everybody will or can afford metal lace jewelry accessories or apparel. And that's okay. We don't. We do not want it. People are not going to collect something. Everybody has because if they are, then it's no longer something that's to be collected. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. We're revisiting pricing here because I really want to drive this point home. The only ceiling to how high you can price your product is what people are willing to pay for it. You are selling yourself short if you're just getting by with the lowest you can sell something. Even when it comes to entry-level products, occasionally those lower price points can actually hurt your brand perception. Know your worth, product boss. Okay. So I'm not saying you're Tiffany's, but I just want to share with you, like it's an American designer jewelry brand and they just have a threshold. And so you will have a threshold. It might be $65. It might, you know, you'll have a threshold and we're not going to sell to everybody else. They can go Uh to the other places. It's not handmade, handcrafted by you where you're looping these chains together. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And when I say looping, (laughs) they're jump rings. If anyone's ever broken a necklace and you have to get a tiny little like ring back and you have to use all the tools, this is not, this is serious work here. (laughs) Yeah, it takes some time. (laughs) It takes some time. So we want them to pay for that. They're paying for the artistic nature, the coveted part of it, all of it. Okay. Feeling good? I'm excited for you. Yeah, no, this was really great. This was really great. Sometimes you can just put yourself out there in different directions and then you just kind of get bogged because you're not sure anything's working. So what do you think you're going to do? What are your next steps? I'm going to definitely look up wholesale store. I mean, look, museum stores, look up other stores that'll work for me and contact them this week. I think this, that seems like the, that's an easy fit. I mean, I've done it before. Just review what you have Mm -hmm. on MSM and go from there. Yeah. What's already working? You have proof of something working. So let's just try and make that work more, right? Let's double down on it. Let's, Mm -hmm. we talk about it as like a snowball, but it's that momentum. It starts small. And how do we gather more stores and sell more like that? And then when they do have it, like you said, then you contact them and you're like, all I have to do is message them and they buy some more. It's easy. (laughs) So easy, right? Those are the emails you want to send but it takes you messaging them. So if this turns into part of your job, where part of your job is acquiring new retailers and then the reminding the retailers, hey, we've got new product or come buy again from us or let's get your reorder in or let's get you ready for the holidays. Then that's your job is connecting with the partnerships that you have in these retailers and continuing to remind them to buy from you. And then they're like, great. And then they buy more from you than a general consumer and you have to do less dancing on TikTok, right? Like you don't have to do any of that if you don't want to, because you've got another stream of revenue, another stream of income, which is the whole goal here for you, which was like you were in person, online doesn't sell very well. You joined MSM and now it's omni-channel, which channel works best for your business. And right now we're seeing retail or wholesale is a good move for you that we're going to double down on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Really proud of you. You built a beautiful business and you've stuck with it for a really long time. And I'm excited to see this next kind of phase for you happen. So just make sure to keep me updated. If you land some new stores and stuff, shoot me a message because I want to know how it's all going. 
Okay, great. <laughs> okay. So would you mind telling um, everyone that's listening how they can support you? So how they can follow you and also how they can buy from you. Okay, sure. You can see me on Instagram at the Unzicker, which is, I'm going to spell my name. <laughs> T-H-E-U-N-Z is in zebra. I-C-K-E-R. And you can also find me at theunzicker.com. Um, and <laughs> you're looking for Unzicker as an unusual name. So that's how I got it. <laughs> it works and a lot buy of- her products before I keep coaching her to raise her prices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better do that. <laughs> better do it. Because you talking amazing. And I will drop all the um, links into the show notes so everyone can access it really easy. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. (laughs) Okay, that was so fun. Elaine has such a fun creative energy to her. With a unique product like hers comes some unique challenges as well. If people don't know your product exists, how are they going to buy it? They're not searching for it on Google. And we see how Elaine had great success selling in person, but there's only so much she can do herself. We explored social media, but that's going to take a bit of work on her confidence first. But I'm really confident that a pivot to wholesale will be just what she needs to let her focus on her craft and have others do the selling. And she's going to experiment with asking for more sales through her email list. What did you take away from this episode? Was it finding the courage to send a few more emails every month or how you can use AI to help you find the right wholesale partners for your product? Whatever it was, would you mind heading over to Instagram, sending me a DM and letting me know? And if you found this episode helpful for yourself, make sure to follow the show. And if you found it helpful for a fellow product boss, would you mind sending them this episode or any episode you've listened to? It really helps other businesses grow as well as our podcast continue to be able to help businesses around the world. And my friend, product boss, I want you to know this. I am always rooting for you. All right. Until the next episode. Thank you for being here and listening all the way through the Product Boss Podcast. If you love our show and it has helped you in any way in your business, would you mind doing two things for us? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Reviews help other product entrepreneurs know that this is the place to be to grow their businesses and realize that they're not alone. And we know that you all know that a five-star and honest review helps you sell more products to more people. So you know that your reviews help us reach more listeners around the world. Remember, what we give is what we receive, and we are all about helping each other in the Product Boss community. We are all in this together. We would be so appreciative of you if you could take the time right now to subscribe, leave a review, and even share this episode on social or someone you know so we can impact more lives. And remember, subscribing means that you will get notified each time we release a new episode so you never miss a thing. You have helped us grow and climb into the top 10 of all marketing podcasts and together we can keep climbing. Thank you, friends. And remember, there is room at the top for all of us.